Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Mindset Matters podcast, where I'm joined by my wife, Olympic mental performance coach, Stephanie Hanlon-Francie. In these episodes, Stephanie and I have a conversation about the different aspects of what we refer to as Mindset Matters, because we believe that for those who are awake, we are living in and through the most impactful time in history. Your view of the world is the filter for how you will experience the evolution and changing dynamics of it. Our intention is to provide you with ideas, nutritious food for thought, and some tools that you can use to help you in being your greatest self and living your best life. Listen in. Enjoy. Hey, folks. Welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Mindset Matters podcast, where today I think we have an outstanding episode as our dear friend and a fellow podcaster, Jadine Ferreira, who hosts her own podcast called Skating Success, took the opportunity to interview Stephanie. And what a great interview. She did a great job of it. So what's in it for you? Well, number one, you're going to get to know Stephanie at a whole new level. But in this particular interview, especially if you've got kids in sports, you're going to learn a lot of how Stephanie sees the world of sports and working with kids. And this may, in fact, give you some amazing mindset insights for your children and for you as a parent. So I guess we're going to pass it over to Jadine. I'll call her our guest host for Mindset Matters today. Listen in. Enjoy. Are you ready, Stephanie Hanlon? I am so ready for this, Jay. Well, you're going to hear a lot of familiarity if you're listening in. Stephanie and I have been dear friends, business partners, and we're really chosen family, but we wanted to bring our relationship and the history that we have forward. And especially I wanted to interview you, Stephanie, because people don't necessarily get access to you all the time in the figure skating realm and what you know, what you've been through. So we're going to have a fun conversation today. Looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. So first off, I just want to know, how have you stuck with skating this long? That's my first thing. I mean, skating is a little crazy. There are rules that change and there's, you know, drama, politics. I mean, I'm going to jump right in there, right? Um, For those of you who don't know, let me give you a little bit of a background. Stephanie has been a world-class Olympic performance coach now for decades, working with the top athletes in the world. And that dovetailed off of a career in the NHL. So going from the top level in hockey into the top level in figure skating, and then also on the side, you know, creating developmental programs for people to learn to skate from their beginning stages up through her company's Quantum Speed, our company together, Skating Success. So you have a real breadth of background from the business side to the performance side. And that's really what I want to I want to dig into for all of our listeners. So how did you stay in skating this long? Well, I don't think I stuck with skating. I think skating stuck on me somehow, because honestly, as you know, and you've seen many iterations of me and my personality and my businesses and uh, the evolution, certainly not revolution, but it's been evolutionary. um, It really did stick with me. I was a figure skater, competitive figure skater and competitive synchro coach up until, you know, late into the 80s when I decided that, you know, I didn't want to just teach and coach figure skating. I had a business and entrepreneurial mind and thought, you know, if I'm coaching and if I'm working with athletes and I'm teaching and I'm selling my time by the hour, it's very restricting. So I started to step back and go, how can I look at this different from a skating standpoint? And this was in seriously in the early 1990s. That's when I got hired with the uh, Edmonton Oilers was in 1990. And I was there for nine years and I held it as a business. And that gave me feedback and proof that what I could do was, was use skating as a vehicle to get what I wanted in my own life, which was to make a great living, to be fit, to challenge myself, to be in a never-changing, political, upside-down kind of world like hockey and figure skating. So ice sports really kept dragging me back every single time I I tried to retire. It's so interesting because skating is in circles, right? We get on the ice and it just goes in circles. We go back around, you know, whether we fall or we get up or we try something or we fail. And it sounds like you took those lessons and then created that business, that life, that vehicle for yourself. Um, You know, the language that we talk about now, this is where I have to be careful. We have a lot of inside lingo, what I would call the things we use every day. And you've talked about using sport as a vehicle. I want you to dive into it a little bit more. It's very familiar to me, but for the audience, that might be a very new concept. If there's, there's a parent listening or a coach, how can you describe using sport as a vehicle? 
Well, I think sometimes we start to identify ourselves with the sport. I am a figure skater. I am an ice dancer. I am a hockey player. I am whatever it is. And we lock into that as our definition. Instead of saying, I figure skate, I play hockey, I'm using hockey or figure skating to get myself onto the podium or onto the next level. I want a Stanley Cup. I want a scholarship. I want to be able to really learn personal and professional skills inside the container called sport and the values of sport, whether it's figure skating or ice hockey, if they align with the values growing up as a family and they, they're things like competitiveness and challenge and uh, resiliency and overcoming adversity, you learn those things in sport. But if you make sport the end game, or if you make the Olympic Games or the Stanley Cup the end game, when it's over, it's over. And I always say to my clients is that, yes, you love the sport. Yes, you love to train. Yes, you love to win. But it's very difficult to love something that can't love you back. What you can love are the values and the growth and development and the community and the people and the contribution. That's what you can love. So when I say sport is a vehicle to get what you want, it's how you can use the sport. And here's the thing, before it uses you, because sport can chew you up and it can spit you out. I resonate with that very clearly. Honestly, like in our journey together, I was done. I I was not interested in doing any kind of coaching or any kind of, you know, commitment to sport development because I did feel, ver- feel very jaded at the end of my competitive skating. And you're right. It can use you if you're not using it. And it's funny. One of the questions I, I had ready for you was, would you change anything in sport or do you feel like it's the perfect place to use adversity training for personal development? What do you That's think? a great question. Really great question, Jadine. I think I wouldn't change a thing. I've been changing things in myself as I go. And I re-choose all the time if I'm going, if I'm going to stay, especially in, com- in competitive ice dance. It's probably known as one of the most political, uh, politically incorrect uh, sports in the world because it's not just a sport where you have athleticism. You also have art and then you have judgment. So you have all the things that are just a microcosm of our of our daily life. So if I say, okay, I want to change something in sport, then I think we remove one of the things that is important is resiliency. It's overcoming adversity. It's not taking things personally. It's learning how to overcome things. Honestly, there are so many, you know, one-liners about sport, about, you know, taking 100 shots or making, falling down 100 times, getting up 101. Those are great. But the truth is, if you're really embracing sport as a vehicle and as a values-based commitment that you have to your life, then it doesn't matter what the rules are on the outside. That's the external environment. The external is always going to change. And that's the other thing I've learned in sport, especially in, in ice sports, is that what stays consistent and constant is myself. So I can put myself in any arena. I can go out with novices, pre-novices, in ice dance or figure skating. I can go out with pros and Olympic champions. And I stay the same. I stay the same. The the environment always is going to change. And the earlier you learn that in sport, and the earlier you know that you can control your own responses, your own reactions, and your own inner environment, the better you're going to do in life overall. Mm, I love the term inner environment. Boy, do I love that. You know, I... I don't know if you've heard this. I'm sure you have at some point, but skaters blaming the ice like, ooh, the ice is too bumpy or it's just, you know, that's just flat ice or jet ice. And I'm always saying to them, if you are a professional and you show up as you, you can skate on anything, anytime, anywhere. And I know that you have experience with that because you've been all over the world. I mean, I don't know if there's a time zone you haven't hit or an arena you haven't hit, but What have you learned from that international travel and being in those different environments? Is it really about that inner landscape? That's all it's about. And that's the earth, you know, the journey working with Olympic champions over the last eight, 10 years and Olympic gold medalists. It's not like I'm just dabbling and going to the Olympics. You know, many people, when they set goals, they want to go to the Olympics. And I said, do you want to go to the Olympics or do you want to compete at the Olympics? So the first thing I do in creating that inner environment is getting them setting their goals in a way that they can get their goals. And then they start to see where the landscape has to adjust to their inner environment. But until you're willing to look inside and look at what it is that you really want, it's very difficult because that can be painful for people is to really take full responsibility for their results. And like you say, there's always an excuse. It's not about the ice. You know, everybody's kind of have an excuse about anything. And there's different arenas. Honestly, we did an international competition last week and or two weeks ago in a in an arena that they play, you know, minor hockey and there's nothing on the boards. There's lines on the ice. 
but there's world-class competitors out there. They don't care. They're there to do a job. Same thing in my experience with hockey players. When I started my power skating business and took it from quantum or from Stephanie Hanlon's power skating to quantum speed, high performance skating systems, I was having Edmonton Oiler hockey players on the ice with nine-year-olds. Wow. And now I have players that saying, you know, I can't skate with that person because he's too young or they're not challenging me. So what I'm seeing is there's all this external pressure. And yes, I get that there's competitiveness and I fold that into all the programs that I have. But the truth is, if you're going to be judging your training or your experience or your ability to be successful on the external environment, then you've already played down 50% of your chance to win. Isn't that the truth? I love that you're bringing that up. And I know that you saying those words is going to help people listening on this podcast. And it really leads me into my next question, which is, I want to dive into this difference between psychology and performance coaching. You know, people talk about sports psychology. I have a psych degree. I, you know, I've been down that path. You've been dabbling in so many different modalities and then landed on your own brand of performance coaching. What is, what is the performance coaching aspect or the mind shift that is actually necessary for athletes? What do you think? Well, I don't think it's just for athletes. I think what I learned when I was starting to study psychology and then I was veering into the sports psychology, what I stumbled on was something called performance psychology and happiness psychology. And it became a real thing back in the day in the early 2000s when I was starting to train as a personal coach and got all my certifications and trained in coaching and all the different levels and went to coach you and became an NLP certified trainer and all the things that I thought I was supposed to do. What I realized was all the same conversation. Then I started hanging out at the Olympic level and working as a uh, performance coach with Olympic athletes and potential Olympic athletes. And I started hanging out a bit with the sports psychologists. And what I discovered was that when we were in conversations with sports psychologists, they were more about trying to figure out the why. Why is something happening? Why are you having this lack of focus? Why is what, you know, and then the focus became on focus and then eliminating distractions and um, thinking positive. And it was all the things that didn't resonate with me. And I thought, I don't want to, I'm not, I had just registered for um, my psychology uh, certificate with the University of Arizona. And I went, got halfway through that program and said, I'm not into psychology. If anything, I would be into the mental and emotional resilience training of an athlete. How do they embrace the moment and all the distractions and all the adversity and still get to the podium? So I started searching for that course. Mm. And guess what? There is no certification in that. There's no degree in it. There's no master's degree. So that's what other things I've been bumping up against as a performance coach. Sports psychologists are now calling themselves performance coaches. Mm. So they're dovetailing, which is great. I mean, we need all the support we can get for athletes. No disrespect. And I have a ton of love and respect for the people who got those after degrees and PhDs in sports psychology. But what I had to do was get my degree out of the practical. I had to dive in and become the coach and the person that I wanted to be and needed to be for the athletes to totally resonate and connect with me. So all the training I've done, all my certifications, all my layers and levels and and coach training and NCCP this and is all there. It doesn't go away. But the truth is, I don't want to be dealing in the why. I don't want to be dealing with somebody's historical trauma. If it comes up, then I'm happy to refer to a psychologist, a psychiatrist. If it's not in my realm, I don't cross over. And all the people that I work with understand that. What I'm about is this moment, the what's important now. When to me is what's important now. And how do I create my future? Not from more positive thinking, but how about less negative thinking? How about learning how to visualize? I had an athlete once, we were working through visualization exercises and he'd been working with some sports psychologists and State Canada and US figure skating. And a lot of these federations have every single modality and resource you could even imagine. So I was working with him in a little bit and around transition from life after sport and what did he want to do, et cetera, going forward. And then one day we were doing a visualization exercise because I do that with all my clients, whether they're high net worth HNW clients uh, in business or real estate or in the realm of sport, I do visualization with them because not everybody sees things in pictures. Some people visualize in color and and sound and music. Some people aren't visual at all. (laughs) So I was sitting there and I'm waiting for him to finish his visualization and I I hear this, ah, and he comes out of the visualization. I go, buddy, what's up? And he's like, I fell in the triple axle again. And I went, what? I fell on the triple axle. I go, when? He goes, well, in my visualization. And it hit me. 
is that if we don't teach athletes how to visualize and how to create that physiological response to landing something or taking that shot and scoring, and they're in their visualization, they're not landing a jump, there's something wrong. So I was trying to weave into that and go, okay, yes, teach visualization, but dig deeper. Dig deeper as to, is that person landing the jump in their visualization? It's their visualization. It's theirs. It's in their own head, in their own mind, in their own body. And they're still allowing themselves to fall or miss the shot, miss the net, or not hit this the hoop in the basket. And they don't realize how responsible they are because what our mind is doing connects us to our emotions and our emotions connect us to our habits and our habits connect us to our actions and our actions connect us to our results. So I was really committed to unwinding all that. And again, there was no course in that. I, I pieced together a bunch of personal development, professional development courses that I had to go to and seek out because on the surface level, it's easy for a, a, a federation or a not-for-profit or an NGO to go, NSF to go, you need to be a double master's. Great, not me. But then they hire somebody with the double master's who doesn't have any field experience. And the athletes are going, this person, I love them to death, but you know, they're trying hard, but they don't know, they don't know anything about what we're doing. So I had to not make that wrong. And I had to make not make me not having those degrees wrong and then still finding a way to get myself credible, to get myself reputa- in a reputation where they know I'm trustworthy, they know I'm fully um, uh, confidential, they know I'm fully insured, whatever. But I'm not prepared to go down that academic path anymore. Not that I'm too, I mean, I could, I choose not to. Wow, this is so powerful. And it's it's a little bittersweet. It's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast and definitely one of the reasons I'm wanting to bring you to a global audience, which are our, our skating success people are now globally available to this podcast. This is exactly what I went through as an athlete, Stephanie. Got to a certain stage, got the, you know, the people that talked to the team and they came in and we did this visualization session. And yeah, I'm not very visual. And I did fall every single time in my visualization. And then I felt stupid and I felt frustrated and I felt like, why am I doing this wrong? And then there was no step beyond that. There was no relatedness. So what you're saying is so important that, you know, whatever we choose to do as an athlete or parents listening in with your with your skater, it has to be practical, right? The win, what's important now in your athlete's life right now? And how do you do that with athletes when they when they bump up against the really challenging moments, whether it's, you know, they're down after the rhythm dance or they're, um, you know, they're low on the Stanley Cup final or whatever it is. How do you help them handle real-time adversity when the what's important now is the hard thing right now and it matters? How do you deal with that? Well, again, we're, we're dealing with the external environment. If, if you make a mistake and you frame it as a mistake, then it's very difficult to unframe that. <laughs> But what I do with my athletes is say, okay, you take a chance, you you take off on the jump on the proper edge and you fall, or you, after the rhythm dance, you're seventh and you should have been first. What do you do with that? Well, that's an external experience. My goal is to get them and reframe it back to the point is in that moment, do you really have any problems? Do you really have any problems? So after we do what's called a, a debrief or a close, I call it a closing after something that's positive or negative. You know, uh, you either like the result or you don't like the result. If you like the result after a certain event, then we keep doing that. We bring forward what worked. We notice what didn't work. And then we build on top of that. But if we're dealing with something that didn't go wrong, and here's to your point, Jadine, and this is what breaks my heart with athletes, especially figure skaters, is that I don't know if coaches are, are equipped or if they're trained in some ways to deal with an athlete that's had that kind of adversity. And so they're just, okay, smile, wipe it off, think positive. Because in, even in the coach training I've done through sport, there's not a lot of depth in terms of, okay, what do I do other than just say, I don't have the skills and send them to a sports psychologist for a weekend session or one session. I don't know if that's viable at this stage of the game. The way that the world is right now, and if we're going to use sport as a healthy environment to help athletes and their families stick to their values, we have to know that in order for them to deal with something that was quote unquote negative and a result they didn't like, we have to pull back and go, what did we get from it? What are we going to learn from it? What are you the most disappointed? What are you the most pissed off about? Are you scared to get on the ice tomorrow for the free dance? Absolutely. Okay, let's deal with that. And then I bring it back to the moment and say, okay, well, it's this time on this day and you're laying in your hotel bed. Do you have any problems right here right now? 
Mm-hmm. And then they pause. And then the mind chatter starts to quiet. Do you have any problems right here, right now? Well, then the, what about the judges and what? Mm. Okay, that'd be tomorrow. What's important now? And in the ice dance realm, I'll get them to, if there are a couple off the ice, I'll get them to face each other and, and do an exercise. If they're not a couple on the ice or off the ice, then I get them on Zoom and we do the exercise. But when you get to the point where we have no real problems in this moment, a lot of the pro- problems we have are made up and they're thrown up after us and at us and shit all <laughs> right? So in that moment, I can get them to calm down, to lighten, soften, and then I can help them reframe it. And the whole point, like be- between events, for example, if it's, a, if it's a rhythm dance and then the free dance is the next day, I need them to figure out how to invite sleep. Because the rest and recovery after any kind of adrenalized experience, whether it's a high or a low, we have to come to neutral. And in order to come to neutral, we have to be able to acknowledge both exist, the high and the low. As a, And as you know, when we've done over the years and worked on is after a high, there has to be a low. So if we don't neutralize that at the end of an event, even at the end of a practice, maybe that didn't go so well, then it's very difficult to invite sleep. Their appetite can go down. They're not getting the fuel they need. So all these things internally are affected by this external experience, which truthfully, and this is going to sound a little weird, nothing's real. It's just a perception of what we experience. We make it real. We lock into it. And then we say, okay, this is the way it is. That's how I do it. Beautiful. It's. I'm hoping that as a listener, as you're listening in, you are hearing Stephanie walk you through the practicality, the steps, the feeling of going, how do I deal with this moment? Ah, what's real for me? Oh, what's not real? What doesn't matter? And then pulling it back in, getting to neutral, as you say, allowing the highs and lows and not judging that either, right? And giving giving the space. And, you know, when we go back to the the comment about sport being a vehicle, these are the tools you can take into anything. And what you did was you harnessed those tools and brought them into business. So let's talk a little bit about that. When you bring yourself forward and you go, this is my toolkit, this is my system. And now you've created, let's just be honest, world-class education in skating for coaches and for athletes, both in figure skating and in hockey and now in ringette as well. What did you bring forward into that business realm? Because in, in sport, you know, business is a little bit more rare. Well, you're right, because I don't know if a lot of coaches, maybe now because of the conversations you're having and, and that you're bringing forward, is that coaching is, for me, it's a calling. Mm-hmm. And it's a profession and a calling that I wanted to respect and do as much training and certification and education as I could. Yes, got it. But what happens is that we don't take it to the next level. Now, I have fortunate enough to be married to a man who's very successful and had a retail, has a retail store called Professional Skate Service in Edmonton. And we used to have conversations about business. So I learned that how I was holding my coaching, selling my time in the hour. Oh, sorry. Back in the day, it was by the 15 minute block. Right. Right. Start there. Selling my time in 15 minute chunks and thinking it was normal. And then I would get on the phone with him or we'd go on a date or whatever back before we were married. And he'd say, why are you doing that? And I'd say, well, that's the way it's always been done. And he goes, well, that's dumb. (laughs) He goes, let's look at this as a business. And then I started to learn the word scale. Then I started to learn the word return on investment, return on time, return on energy. And then I started to say, well, who said I had to sell my time by the hour? Like, let's just stop that right now. <laughs> so that's how I started thinking as a business. And then I started investing in the early 2000s, well, in 2000, real estate. And I realized that it's exactly the same. It's, it's all the same. It's all made up. So if I wanted to be successful in real estate and I had to understand return on investment and scalability and, uh, you know, passive income, all those kinds of things, why couldn't I take those business skills into hockey? And at the time, it was Stephanie Hanlon's power skating, you know, and everybody was hire Stephanie Hanlon. No, no, I'm doing Stephanie Hanlon. I'm like, no, you're not. You're doing a program that you're going to get the benefit out of. You're paying me good money. I work for you. And this is where I found figure skating really, I still, there was still some resistance, there still is now, is that sometimes skaters think that they work for the coach and the coach is the ultimate 
person that makes ultimate decisions from everything from what they do, what they wear, what they eat. It's not true. It's a partnership and it's a co-creation between the athlete and the coach. If the coach doesn't have the ability to maybe bring whatever the skater needs, then they have to have the resources to bring it. But the minute the skater thinks the coach is the boss, this is where it gets a little dangerous. And I know it pissed a lot of coaches off over the years by saying this because they want, some of them want to have that ultimate control, but we see the result and the, and the downside of that. But to put the skater in the middle of their world is the same thing as putting your intention and your values in the middle of your business. You have a guiding light. You have a North Star there. And what I do is I put the athlete in the middle of their career and teach them how to put all the resources and the people and the places and the and the, and the uh, modalities of treatment and everything they need to learn around them. And the coach is a part of that. Now, if you don't see that as a business, then that's fine. If you just want to go and teach and then take your two weeks off in the spring and come back and coach in summers, that's beautiful because that's the way it's always done. I get it. But from an entrepreneurial standpoint and the way that the world is now, we have to find ways to scale, find ways to still contribute and to make a difference in the community, but also make a living. And I know so many starving artists, so many coaches that just are living paycheck to paycheck, 15 minutes at a time, that I pulled back and I said, well, what if, what if power skating? You didn't have to teach yourself by the hour and become a famous power skating coach and sell yourself and make a big poster with your face on it. Kind of like realtors, you know, you, got, you drive down the highway, you got these big posters because that's about them. What I did was I flipped it and I said, okay, how do we make it about the athlete? Or in real estate, how do we make it about the investor? How do we turn it? And you know, it's funny, the win, the what's important now, I did a whole series called win Vesting. Oh, really? I love that. Yeah. So that's how I did it. And same thing with quantum speed. I took my name off of it. I had to scale it. I had to teach and empower other great skating coaches with this system because I knew it was brilliant. Technique plus power equals speed. There, it's just a science. It's, oh, trust the science. It's just the system. <laughs> but if other coaches could coach it, then we're going to reach more athletes. And that's what I did with the performance coaching as well. In the retail realm, the pro skate has grown like crazy over the last couple of years. And a lot of it thanks to you and the, and the work that you're doing as, in a leadership role. So what we're doing is we're empowering other people to bring what they know. And that to me is business. So if you've got a team of coaches that you're working with at your school and you call it team coaching, for example, it just means you're coaching them one day and you're coaching them the other, et cetera, et cetera. What I've been able to do, especially at Ice Academy Montreal, is learn and build and help build an environment where each coach gets to bring their specialty. So we've got three head coaches there that are brilliant in the technique. Then we've got me in the performance uh, emotional and mental performance capacity. Then we've got ballroom, we've got hip hop, we've got ballet, we've got uh, theater coaches. That's team coaching where you build the team with the best people around your athletes, not just a bunch of skating coaches that take turns earning their 15 minute dollars. And again, please don't hear this as a criticism for the coaches out there. This is what we know. Got it. And you know what? For some, it's never going to change. So all I'm doing is opening and offering a conversation of possibility. And if you're ready as a coach to see this as a business and understand what true team coaching is, I don't know, call JD. Exactly. <laughs> call us. DM me on Instagram, at Gain Success, and I'll get you in touch with one or both of us. Hey. Absolutely. Oh, I love that you read my mind. We know each other so well because I was going to open up that Ice Academy Montreal conversation because for those in the skating realm, in the figure skating sport, it has exploded. I think, I think you know, you've been, you've been integral in both businesses. So co-owner in Skating Success since its inception over 10 years ago. Can you believe it? Amazing. And, and then creator and co-founder of Ice Academy of Montreal. And truly, you're right. We're not trying to make anything wrong. It's just about what's possible as well. What is also possible here? What what could this be like? And I want I would love you to speak to the idea of training everyone to win because that's another internal lingo thing we've talked about a lot with Ice Academy as well as skating success. And I I adore this concept. I think it's one of the most powerful things I've ever seen happen through the athletes you're working with. And I'd love it to be shared on the podcast today. Okay, we're opening up a can of worms here, my friend. <laughs> um Back in the day with Mary Francis Patrice, I was their performance coach as they went through the 2006 Olympics in Torino up until retiring in 2007. 
And they were Canadian champion ice dancers, and they are the foundation of what we call DLH, or initially it was called EPMIS. Patinage, Montreal Skating Something Something, I don't International Skating School or something. It was just a, a name or something where we could create a context for skaters. And the original, Patrice and Marie France had the original idea that it would be for skaters from Canada of all realms that didn't have to leave their country to train and find coaching outside. And that's what happened to them is that it get to a certain level in certain countries and you can't find the coaching that aligns with your values or helps you go to the next level. And so they were really committed to doing this project in Montreal for Canadians and have the support of Canadians and Skate Canada and coaching. And it just didn't land because what we were doing was holding in the space and offering opportunity for for people to really step into an environment where they could take full responsibility for their training. So as one thing led to another, we started seeing and they started seeing I'm distant. I at this time I'm in Edmonton. They're in Montreal. They're trying to they had a baby, they're trying to build a business, and it just started growing because of the truth of who they were being and the alignment for their values. So they started with a, a young team from Denmark, Kate Good and Nick Sorensen from Denmark. And then they had they brought in the, the Spanish champions, and then there were some single skaters, and there was no real true intentionality of becoming a you know an international world class ice dance school. That happened quite organically based on the values, and then they attracted Roman Roman Egenauer, who was their coach with me, and up until 2006, he left Lyon, France, and came to join them in Montreal, which expanded the ability for more teams to come in. And then he kind of had woke up one day and went. We're on the way to the Olympic Games. So after Sochi in 2014, I think Patrice had two teams there and we realized that this is going to get out of control. So we met together and said, okay, you need to create a container for this. It has to be bigger. So it became EPMIS. And then EPMIS started to attract champions from other countries. And it happened so graciously and organically. And and it was drawn because like attracts like, and I don't ever want to step over this, is that you can't force this on people. You can't say, hey, you got to come and skate in Montreal. It, yeah. it, they see it, they resonate with it, they come, they get interviewed. If it's a fit for them and a fit for the school, then they stay. But what happened was we ended up with the national champions of over 11 or 12 countries, all training in the same environment. Patrice had to learn how to do a schedule and, and we ended up hiring more coaches and then more, more peripheral coaches like the off-ice and the, and the dance and the hip-hop and et cetera. I was just this collateral person. Out moved, now I'd moved to Vancouver. So I was even further away from Montreal. But because I was traveling with the teams and we started to understand that what was happening was really magical is that when you put people together in a room that are as good or better than each other, it elevates everything. So when you teach somebody to win and you teach their competitor to win, what happens on the day of the competition happens. It's going to happen anyway. But if you're teaching, and for me, I teach the values of winning, and it's not a dirty word, by the way. Winning is, again, what's important now. And how do you put yourself in environments where you're going to be stretched and challenged and supported and pushed and loved and admired with the best competitors in the world? Can you imagine in Canada... In Montreal, Dubray, Lausanne, Egenauer have created this context where the best in the world can come and train together and push each other and laugh with each other. And the other thing is become best friends. So now we're going to each other's weddings. Some of them are having babies. Now, you know, I can't wait for all these things that are happening because the whole point is to have them come through Ice Academy Montreal learn the skills of being a champion, push themselves, challenge themselves, and understand the environment. If you're going to higher levels, you've got to compete with people that are as good as you or better. And for me, I'm not a technical coach. I don't pretend to know anything about, well, I, I know a little bit because I do have my gold dances. Yes, um, yes I do. And um, I know just enough to get, you know, be dangerous. But I know my role. And each one of the coaches knows their role. And because of that, none of us are pushing our egos on the athletes. And I think that really helps them trust us. So when I'm working with Spain or I'm working with uh, France or now, you know, a couple Canadian teams, three US <laughs> teams, it's in Australia, it's incredible because they trust the fact that we're going to teach them all to the highest level. We don't have favorites. It's like a, a parent can't have, an, can't have a favorite kid. You know, you may in the secret, but I can't. 
because I'm committed to them all winning. I don't know how to teach them to be second. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how to coach them to be 10th. Yeah. I only know how to coach them to win. And because I use the context of what's important now, it's not even about their points. I don't care where they line up in the standings. That's their journey, not mine. Beautiful. Wow. I can't help but see the parallel of uh, the hockey world and bringing all the best onto a team into the into figure skating. And you've often said the figure skating is actually a team sport, yes. which is like mind blowing for, you know, us, you know, people that grow up in a sport where we're we're told it's all separate. And one of the things that's shifted for me in working with you as a business partner and also in working in the other businesses is the idea of the leverage of team. And one of the biggest points I want to drive home, because a lot of our listeners are parents, you are part of their success team, this team sport, right? What you bring to the table. So do you want to talk maybe a little bit more about circle of support just for the athlete? I know it's, you know, it's kind of the secret sauce, but just even giving a little taste for people listening in, because I think that it's something that's overlooked a lot when we go to plan for athletes. Oh, yeah. This is a great conversation. Thank you for this question. I think the biggest thing when you talk about being supported, you also have to be teaching the athlete to be coachable. So there's the first level. Are you in an environment where the athlete is can receive the coaching that they need in order to make the changes and feel confident and feel that self-respect so that they can put themselves in the center? What the circle of support is, is to, for me, my theory is to do the opposite, not the obvious. So I don't put the coach in the center, even when I'm working with coaches. Yes, I can put them in the center when we're talking about them, their personal lives. But when I'm working with an athlete and putting them in the center, what that means is they have to move themselves from being the outcome-based thinking, results-based athlete to a creator or to somebody who's going to be committed to their journey so that they know that when they get to the end of their career, they've done it. The other thing I always say is that don't give me credit for your success because then you also have to give me credit for your failure. And I don't want to be either. I want to do the opposite. I want to make sure that you understand you are in the center of your circle. So at one point back in the day, I was working with a young hockey player named Ryan Smith with the Edmonton Oilers and he just got drafted and he couldn't figure out how to break into the first line or even to get off the bench at the first part of his career. And I started to watch him train and I started to watch his energy around the athletes and how he was kind of putting the coaches on a pedestal, the captains on the pedestal. And like he was just minimizing himself and it wasn't healthy and it was really, really affecting his self-confidence. So I was the skating coach for the Oilers at the time and him and I were doing a lot of work together and he was always looking to me for approval and acknowledgement. I'm like, oh, here we go. So I sucked it up and went up. We were in the press box one day watching a game and I pulled out a napkin and a Sharpie and I drew this picture for him and I said, Ryan, you need to put yourself in the center of this team. Oh, I can't do that. The captains and the this and I'm not this and I'm not that and I'm this and I'm a rookie. And he had all the reasons. Same thing with figure skaters. You have all the reasons in the world not to win. Oh, at ice dance, you can't because you know those top three teams haven't retired yet. And, you know, so there's a hierarchy and So all these stories, and I'm like, I don't care about any of those stories. I said, what about this? What if just for today, you put yourself in the middle? So I drew a picture of a heart. I said, let's call that you. And let's say you love this game. So that's why I made it a heart. I said, okay, you love this game, right? You love to win. You really want to do what's best. You want to make a great living. You want to have a great family. All these, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) So I put his initials inside the heart. I said, okay, that's you. You're in the middle. And then I drew a star around it. Really bad star because I'm not an artist, not like you. It was like a lopsided star. And I go, what if you and this star, and you couldn't handle the word star at the time, so I called it your performer self. Mm. What if your performer self isn't you? What if your performance is what you're giving the world to judge? In this case, the, the, the scouts, the coaches, the fans, the media. What if you're giving them your performer self, not your innermost secrets and your heart and you're throwing your heart on skating through the end of the Zamboni doors to show everybody how much you care. That's an external thing that kind of rubs people the wrong way. It's kind of weird. I call that trying too hard guy. (laughs) Yes, you do. I do. So I said, what if we just start to train your performer self? So when we're on the ice together, I'm training your performer. I'm so committed to your performance. I'm so committed to you getting better. But what's going on for you personally, that's about you. That's you and your inner thoughts. And your inner thoughts lead to your inner 
care about yourself and your commitment to your performance. So I said, who's in your star? And they're like, he's like, I don't know. I go, well, first of all, right now I'm in your star. I'm your skating coach. I'm your performance coach. Right now in this conversation, I'm in your star. But guess what? When you go home tonight, I'm no longer in your star. I go out to, then I drew a square around the star. And I said, I am part of your support team. You move me out. So there's room for maybe a a skills coach or another skating coach or maybe a nutritionist in your star. Because your performer star or your performance, uh, your performer self really needs to have people that are committed unconditionally to your success. And when you go home at night or you go to the gym, your trainer's in the star. When you come back to the rink, I'm in your star. So it's a fluid and it's an open system that I go, right? When I'm not working with you, I go back. I'm still there. Just like your buddies are still there, like other trainers are still there. But until I'm one-on-one face-to-face with you, I'm no longer in your star. You can let me go. You don't have to take me along. Not like basketball players that take their entire posse and their entire, including their hair, you know, hairstylist and the guy that, you know, shines their shoes, takes them to all the games. It's not that. So then I expanded it one layer further and I drew a circle around it. So there's the heart inside. I said, that's you. Your star, that's your performer self. That's what you're giving the world to judge. Then there's the square. That's that support system, like your agent, like your coaches, like the people that are really committed to your success. And then the circle around that is your teammates, your buddies, the media, the the people that are judging you, the fans. That's the circle, the community of our sport that we get to perform to. But they're not all inside here. And that's what happened. And that's how that exercise came to, that's how we birthed that exercise, is that I even realized that all, many times athletes are carrying their family inside their heart, their kids, their dog, their their posse, their entourage, their hairstylist, their best buddy from high school. They're all inside that place. And they're like, I have to please everybody all the time and the judges. And it's too small. Yeah. So what if we just put them into a different category and we lovingly let them go into their supporting my performer self? And then when they're not at the competition or at the hockey game or at the tryouts, they go into the square or maybe they become a fan. So it created a way of shifting the energy off the pressure that so many athletes are carrying around. They carry around with figure skaters. This is one of the first things I do because they carry around everybody, everybody. including the judges. It's, yeah. it's to me it's 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 actually it's horrible yeah yeah and it's not ever going to allow that athlete to know where they sit, stand in it yeah oh there's just too much noise inside of that inner landscape i love this description and you know i'm going to be putting the video out once i figure out my youtube um but you'll be able to see stephanie in her beautiful example and how she's you know talking with her hands and with so much love around this concept because at this point now, Ryan Smith, yes, benefited from the birth of it, but now you have given this gift to thousands of athletes. And I want you to know that that's a ripple effect. It affects me. It affects how I coach. It affects how the skaters and coaches I get to be with. And that's exponential times a lot of people now. So I just want to congratulate you on on just following that and allowing that to be something that's driven you in your coaching because it makes a huge difference. Thank you. Can I actually speak to the parents for a second? Of course. Of course. So I said all of that and I didn't mention parents. Did you notice? I did notice. So one of the things I've learned over the time, and I've been doing this now since 1994, because that's when Ryan was drafted. So this exercise has evolved. And what I learned when I started doing um, how to parent your champion athlete, you remember that? Um, We did some seminars on how to parent your champion. And one of the things that the parents really had a hard time with, and this was, I was so respectful when when this came forward, is that they wanted to know, most of them wanted to know where they were in the circle of support, because it's not just figure skating. And right now they're calling certain parents helicopter parents, where they're in the stands and they're, some of them are coming on the ice and they're trying to coach their kids and, and they are so committed because they love their kids so much and they want their child to be successful. But what they don't realize is that if they're trying to get in that child's heart, there's no there's no room for that because they get in the way of the values that the athletes are trying to develop on their own. And in order to develop confidence and, and the resiliency muscle, I call it, they have to screw up. They have to fall down and get back up again. They can't have parents pulling them out or calling the coach if something's going wrong or 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 in the stands every day, you know, commenting, making notes, and then in the van on the way home, coaching. 
So I have a very strong stand, and it came from the circle of support exercise, is that we need the parents. We need you to be a parent. You're the most important person on this team up into a certain age. And then there's a certain age where you have to go from their performer star because you've been feeding them, housing them, watering them, driving them. You're, you're the team chauffeur, team psychologist, team medical. You're everything. So we get all wrapped up in all those definitions. And then there's the trauma, potentially, of an athlete moving past you. And as a parent, I'm, I'm not a parent, but as I've been through this a hundred times or thousands of times with parents and I've had to hold their hands out of the star of their child's circle of support and into the square. Yeah. And some can't do it because it's either they've been living the dream for their child or an unmet or unfulfilled dream of their own, or they think they know more because they read books or maybe they had a cup of coffee in the NHL, we call it. And no disrespect, but to honor the parent's role and for you as a parent to honor your child when it's time, for example, I'll use a hockey example, and if some of the parents have figure skaters and hockey players in their realm or ringette, they have to move away. They get drafted, and they end up living with what's called a billet family. Mm-hmm. A billet family. I mean, they get vetted. It's very very professional, and they move in, and they actually become a billet son. Mm-hmm. And for many parents, that's the most, it's excruciatingly painful because now somebody else is feeding them watering them, driving them, maybe working on their sports ecology. They're the ones that are going to meet the girlfriend first, those types of things, or the boyfriend first. It's very difficult. But the more a parent can get into their own circle of support and understand where they are in their own journey, maybe it's time for them to get back in shape or to create a new career or to maybe learn more about something else because their child is now in a realm where they have to learn from other people, from the community that they put themselves in. And if you've been there and teaching the values of sport and your family values and you're trusting your child to move into a new home and a new city and play in a new game, then what you've done is you've created the the potential for this child to be successful on many, many levels. So if you hear this and you're a parent, just know gently and lovingly, I respect you and you are the most important part of the team because think about it. It's when they're 18, 19, or 25, when they're receiving their medal or their their trophy for being rookie of the year. Who's the first person they thank? Always. It's, It's you. But you have to be able to let them go in order to experience that. And But I had a parent call me afterwards and said, I can't, I can't go from his star into the square. I can't, I don't trust. I go, you don't trust what? Mm -hmm. And what she got to was, I don't, I don't trust myself. Mm. And I said, you don't trust that you embodied and showed and displayed the values and taught him well and surrounded him with me and other people like me and quantum speed and, you know, great nutritionists, great office trainers, great this, great. Oh yeah, I did all that. And I said, you paid a lot of money for that, yeah. And they're like, yeah. I go, that's an investment you made that you need now create him getting the return on the investment. Your return on that investment may not come for very many years where you see the success. And when he starts choosing a family, choosing a wife or a husband or a career that has nothing to do with you, but you're so proud. But if you become the barrier from that athlete going from their performer self or their heart space, their performer self, and you don't allow yourself to see that you now become a different resource, an even more important resource, and maybe not quite so expensive because now you're not paying for all the groceries. <laughs> exactly. You're just, you know, and eventually you start to see your child grow and evolve. And as a parent, my mom always said, I spent nine months crating you and the rest of my life letting you go. So I brought that into my coaching. Thank you, Joyce. Wow. Yeah. This really resonates, Stephanie. Um, sometimes people ask me what my favorite thing is about coaching or the best moment, the best part. Yeah. And um, it's unequivocally the moment when I'm at a competition with an athlete or an event, any moment when it's their turn. And when I close the gate and they skate away and they don't look back. Yeah. It's, it's just the best when it's just, I can absolutely step out of it I always tell them my goal is to be in the stands with popcorn, enjoying, <laughs> right. enjoying them have their moment. It's yeah, because that yeah. so is about you know. And when when we what like what is skating success? What is being an Olympian? What is being an NHL star? It's not to your point about that medal or about that trophy. 
It's about that person having found their inner resilience, adversity, ability, and the trusting themselves to win, which is to lead into the what's important now. So, wow. I don't know. I, I'm just so grateful for this whole conversation. I know that we could probably go on for like a, many hours. We probably will need to do a part two because I know that we're going to get requests for that. But is there anything else you'd love to leave the audience with for today? Well, just for today, what's important now is that maybe take an inventory. How are you holding the space for your athlete if you're a parent? How are you creating your business as a coach? Are you seeing yourself as a business person? How are you holding the athlete accountable and responsible for their results and their success? So to me right now, it's an internal conversation for me and coaches or me and my athletes, because the minute you turn an athlete over to their their success and their ability, and you can step back and create that space between not only are they not looking back at you, Jadine, when you shut the gate, some of them won't look up to see their parents. And when I can get them to that, even in an international conversation, I've got athletes that only ever looked for their parents in the stands, whether it's in Germany or, you know, in Finland or China, they look for their parents. And if I can get them to look for their parents after in the kiss and cry or whatever, I know I've done my work. They've out there, they're doing it for their own reasons, on their own terms, and they're going to put themselves up to be judged evaluated, criticized, especially in the years of social media, on their own terms. And yes, you want to protect them. Yes, we want to just keep them safe, but we can't. If we're great coaches and we're doing what we can and we're supporting parents the best we can, then it's time for the athletes to fly. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here and just always being so committed to your gift. I've seen you show up when it was really hard And I've seen you show up when it was inconvenient (laughs) or when there were many distractions um, and you never make an excuse. You always show up fully. And I appreciate that so much from you. And I know the audience is going to feel that in this interview. Thank you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate this. I loved your questions. Thanks, Jadine. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends as it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener. If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.